Hello and welcome back to an FEZ show. It has been a long time. I think the last time we've done an FEZ show was before the Romy pre. We didn't come back for the Rome, but we're now after Monaco. And we have tons of things to talk about. Literally, we could do an FEZ show from one month to the next month. Nothing really happened. But this month, they've decided to have new story, new story, new story, new story, new story. So we have so much to digest this evening. And joining me once again, as always, is Edward Hunter and Jack Pickering. Boys, how are we? I'm good. Yeah, I didn't get too sunburnt in the uh, in the Cote d'Azur. Uh, or, or or in Rome for that matter. Uh, so yeah, no, it's been fantastic to be back in the paddock, chat to people. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot to get into today, so I'm not going to let this go on too long. Yeah, that's I was absolutely right, Pico. So much time and so little. No wait, scratch that, reverse it. <laughs> right. So let's get on to the first talking point of the day, which is the most recent news story, which is at coming back into Formula E. Obviously, a team that was part of the season one to four of Formula E then sort of merged into that Audi brand. And are they are coming back? And there's been a lot of talk ever since Audi potentially Pico was leaving the series, that there was always this talk about Audi potentially coming back, Audi apt potentially be coming back. So what are your views on them actually making that announcement and finally coming back to the series? I think it's absolutely fantastic that uh, apps are coming back because they are—they were one of the—they uh, were, were always one of the front runners in the uh, in the early seasons of Formula E. Obviously, there was a few rumours here and there when Audi decided to dip at the end of season seven that that apt could potentially take uh, take over that entry and run for season eight. Um, However, it, it, it just didn't seem to uh, to be, unfortunately. But uh, I, I think it's fantastic news that they're going to be back. I don't think that they'll probably be the force that they once were. Obviously, they're not going to be partnered with Audi like they were for the however many seasons that they were in the championship last. Um, looking likely that they might use the Mahindra powertrain. But obviously, it's very, very early days. So nothing is actually confirmed. But... Uh, uh, one thing is absolutely for certain, and that is that we are going to have um, uh, the full 24 cars on the grid next year, because I'm pretty sure we've got about 13 teams at the moment and 12 spots, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. But uh, yeah, I, I, we, we need more spots on the grid. So uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely fantastic news. Ed, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I'd probably echo what uh, Pico was saying. Uh, I felt very sorry for not just the people at the app team, a lot of them have moved to Porsche since uh, the end of season seven, uh, but also uh, drivers like Rene Rast, who sort of, he just signed that contract with Audi to become their sort of factory driver in Formula E, and then they pulled out. So that's a big shame for him, but uh, at the time at least, and now with Apt coming back, potentially he might be, a, a, as a free agent, might be first on the books to uh, come back into Formula E because, of course, he was racking up the fastest laps as Rast. He was very impressive. So I really, really love to see him back in one of those two app seats. And uh, as a Mahindra customer, I think it will be interesting to see how competitive they are going into Gen 3 because Mahindra could really benefit from having a, a customer team if that deal does indeed transpire. It seems like there's a lot of customer deals because we know the potential McLaren uh, takeover of what's currently the Mercedes EQ team. They're potentially looking at a Nissan powertrain as well. So it seems like there's a lot of new customer deals coming up. Uh, so, but great to see the app name back. Uh, and uh, I'll be interested to see how they get on. 
Yeah, lots to discuss with this app thing because obviously one that you brought up there was was Rene Rass and, and potential drivers that they could have and the other one which we'll get into as well. So obviously they were powered or they had that partnership with Schaeffler, right? And now that Apt is coming back, I know Schaeffler, they can't power them for next season because they're not part of the Gen 3 powertrain supplies. But now that they've come back, I'm wondering um, if they will potentially maybe sneakily want to become a sort of just a manufacturer and maybe power that Apt team in the future. Who knows? We'll discuss that right now. So I'm going to go to Pico first. Rene Rast, right? Surely, right, he's got to be a naming contention for, for that seat. Obviously, as, as, as Ed said, he was signed up for Audi. And obviously, one season wonder, unfortunately for him. But surely, he has to be in contention for a seat. Is there anybody else that you think could be in, intention, in contention for that seat? Could Daniel Apt be back in that car? I say it's rather unlikely that Daniel Apt's going to be back in that car. Uh, I've 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 heard a few names mentioned. Um, so obviously, Rene Rast is the like is the most notable one. Nico Muller, who raced for Dragon in season six, is another one. I've also heard Robin Primes, but uh, I think it'll be interesting if he did move away from that Envision team. I think they're going to be very strong next year with that Jaguar package, and uh, an Apt coming back in with the Mahindra package. I I think would be. Uh, I, I think it would be a little bit of a risk, but um, uh, it, it might be what uh, Fryan would look for. I've got no, I'm not completely sure, but uh, there there will be some some people here and there, and I'm yeah, I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure who who else would be in that seat, but I'd be, I, I'd almost put the mortgage on Rene Ras definitely. Ed. Also, your thoughts on who you think will fill that other spot, but I wanted you to talk about that Schaeffler link in terms of, do you think um, that could be a potential down the road seeing them again, or do you think that that partnership's gone and it'll be something else? I wouldn't be surprised to see Schaeffler sponsoring the team, and certainly when they sponsored Audi, there were lots of tie-ins of little electric vehicles and things like that. That was like an electric bike that I think Schaeffler were working on, if I remember correctly, sort of really small kind of a freewheeled vehicle uh, that's name escapes me. But, uh, but yeah, so, so there was some really impressive stuff going on there. And technically, uh, with that shape for partnership, they won the uh, team's championship in season four, let's not forget. And that app was still technically kind of running that team, even though Alan McNish was sort of at the helm at the time he'd just taken over uh, this sort of, and so um, the app certainly, they certainly wouldn't have got to that point about uh, the investment from act in those early seasons. So uh, they've certainly got a lot of pedigree behind them. And uh, yeah, I, I could see Schaeffler making a powertrain, whether um, whether they've set, got the resources to be as competitive as they were in some of those earlier seasons in Gen 1, it would remain to be seen. But certainly the Mahindra powertrain uh, power is a good uh, stopgap until they can get that organized maybe later into Gen 3. And, uh, and yeah, as for drivers, uh, uh, we talked about Nico Muller and Robin Freins. I think both of them would be great options. I believe Robin Freins has his own company that has links with um, with Apt. I think it's called something like Freins Unlimited or something like that, uh, which is a slightly uh, interesting name. I think it should be called Freins Unlimited Power because that way <laughs> it would uh, fit the brand a bit more. But uh, but anyway, I'm, I can't quite see Robin Freins leaving Envision to go. So I think Nico Muller and... Uh, and Rene Rass would both be excellent options for the team, but they could go for someone uh, completely new. I've, I've heard um, Kelvin Mandolin's name, unfortunately, uh, batted about a few times. He's not, he's not exactly flavour of the month after um, the DTM finale last season, 
which we won't go into any further details about uh, Nick Cassidy, certainly not going to talk about it. But, <laughs> but uh, I think there's like plenty of good options. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go for Ray and Raston, potentially a rookie, is the way I see him go. I'm going to come back to you there, Ed, because you said Alan McNish there, and that's a really interesting name. Obviously, was part of that Audi team principal role. And I remember interviewing him back in Berlin when it was Audi's last race. And I said, to, I, I wanted to find out what his plans were sort of next. And we haven't really seen much of Alan McNish since he's left Audi. Do you think, you know, if you were hand jerking up, would you knock on his door and um, maybe see if you can get him back? Uh, I don't see why not, because uh, McNish apart from just being a pretty competent team manager, is an excellent kind of media presence to have on your side. So I could see sort of a similar, you know, how Venturi have got Susie Wilt as the CEO and D'Ambrosio managing as the actual team principal managing the day-to-day. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a similar thing where Hans Jürgen is in the CEO role, maybe Alan is doing the day-to-day stuff. Uh, that would be a good role, but I don't think, if Hans Jürgen wants to manage day-to-day, I think he's very capable of uh, doing it himself. Uh, so, or maybe potentially if Daniel can't come back as a driver, they can get him in the team principal role but that depends on a if he wants to even do that and b if he has the right kind of skill set to succeed in that role because uh, i remember i was just uh, picking an interview with dan Brozo quite recently and he said that he wasn't even sure when he did was deputy team principal whether he had the right skill set and would be cut out to succeed and it took a little bit of learning to actually get to that point uh so yeah we'll, we'll have to see lots of different ways it could pan out but certainly I think whoever they put in, it's going to be someone very capable and capable of getting the team back to where it belongs at the group. And then Pico, let's move on to Gen Free because obviously Gen Free was released in Monaco and it's had, well, mixed reviews, let's say. I don't think, you know, when I was showing it to friends and I was like, right, I want your honest opinion, right? They don't really watch Formula E. What do you think? I've showed them the real life car and then I showed them the pictures that Formula E sent. And they said the pictures that Formula Recent didn't really do the car much justice. And I think that's what most of the world saw was those those, those cars and from those like renders that they did. And, and that sort of took Twitter by storm. And, and unfortunately, I don't think it was as great as, you know, Formula E would have liked. And I think these kind of stories that have come out very quickly afterwards, which we'll get on to, have sort of like weathered that storm a bit. So what was your initial impressions when you saw those renders? And obviously you've seen the car up close and personal. What are your thoughts on Gen 3? I, I, I still haven't seen the Gen 3 car. I didn't actually see it in Monaco. I saw it because there, uh, there was a launch in Monaco. Um, it was on the Thursday evening. I saw the pictures in a Weatherspoons in Gatwick. Look at me. I'm living the high life. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, walking down the pit lane on Friday, uh, obviously, Gen 3 was the talk of the town. Um, and the general consensus was, was that the pictures that Formula E released were rubbish and that it does look a lot better in person. Um, that said, uh, I'm still not completely sold on the front wing. It does look kind of like it was like a half-assed job that, that they, they they just drawn a few lines like, yeah, that'll do. Um, and then just like chipped it off. Uh, however, one thing that I have noticed this week is uh, Lucas Degrassi has actually um, has, uh, taken on board some feedback and uh, collaborated with a designer to create a what, what I think is a much better looking version of the gen 3 car and he posted that on his socials so uh do go check check that out because i do think that it's a it's a big improvement i'm gonna interrupt you there so 
So basically, from the reaction there, they're already thinking of redesigning the look of the car. Is that what you're telling me? Um, definitely, Lucas thinks that they that they should tweak it a bit, and and there might be so there might be a few bit little revisions before it hits the track properly. But um, yeah, it's uh, I I don't think we'll see too much of a different car, but it might be a little bit adjusted. Um. Maybe not to the ones that Lucas and a collaborator did um, in um, uh, uh, early this week, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, like one of my mates said, "Oh, it looks like a soapbox," which um, uh, one of them Red Bull soapbox race things. So, um, not not the greatest reaction, but uh, yeah, I, I I don't think. I don't think it, that could be the finished product. Yeah, well, I'm thinking, well, well, the one that a lot of people said was the Death Star. I don't know Death Star, sorry. The, one of the Star Wars ships. I don't know what they're called. The Star Destroyer. Uh, the Star Destroyer. That's the one. That was the one that was um, that was posted. Happy May 4th, everyone. Happy May 4th. Well, yeah. Happy May 4th. Um, but, so, this was something, right. I'm going to come back to you here, Pico. This was something that we know we've talked about Formula E and its marketing. And they've something that they've had to work on. And, and they had to get right. Now, is this just they thought it was a brilliant looking car and they were really happy? Yes. Or is this a blunder again in terms of the marketing? Because, yes, everyone's talking about it. Correct. So Formula is in the news. However, Formula is not. It's not a good news story. And that's the problem that we keep having with Formula is that we keep shooting ourselves in the foot, in a sense. And it's like you look at look at Formula oh, Oh, that's ugly. Well, we're not going to watch that. We're not going to come. So is that just poor marketing did they get it wrong what what's your opinion on that well one thing that they definitely did get wrong is um definitely the uh the uh, the, the shots that formula e released immediately the um the ones that had like a yellow and pink kind of thing it kind of looked like like a miami sunset kind of thing which um is completely is completely the wrong series for this weekend um but uh but yeah i think yeah, it it is this thing with Formula e that occasionally they, they do these things and it just yeah just right from the off it doesn't work, um, which is disappointing and I, I think has happened uh, a few too many times. But um, I think one of the things that people will be impressed by it will be the speed of the car and you know how uh, how 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 we go from this gen uh, gen two to gen 3 and then gen 3 evo and then gen 4 um but yeah I, I, it's 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 baby steps but it's taken a little too long ed in terms of a car do you think in terms of also marketing wise as well i'm thinking right now it's literally just come to me rather than sending that those pdf rendered shots would it have been better to do a live launch somewhere on Twitch, somewhere on YouTube, where everyone sees the actual car for what it looks like on camera, than just these pictures. Uh, for those who can't see Pigo's head rang aggressively. <laughs> I think it's hard to, to dispute that launching it just on a yacht in Monaco, uh, to sort of exclusive view, and, uh, and uh, not inviting some people like Pigo looking in the weather spoons, <laughs> on his glamorous journey that was my uh, fault i uh i uh 
didn't know that they were doing it and I booked the flight to leave at like eight at like 6.25 or something like that so you know that that's that's on me but you know there were people from the media centre there and I know, I know that Toby was there it was just that I just left too late I, I, I'll be honest I'm happy that I saw it in spoons and not three hours after when I landed so yeah regardless I think uh, it's a good point that uh, Jack makes that maybe it would have been a better idea to make it uh, an online kind of launch that more people could have seen uh, and then just involve more people rather than because it felt a little bit like they were trying to impress sponsors and the sort of you know uh, <laughs> the rich and the famous that live in Monaco rather than necessarily the people at home as for the car design itself I sort of agree Pico what Pico also said which was the delivery with the sort of pink and sort of pastel kind of colors didn't really do any kind of favors and I think some of the concept liveries that do make it look a little bit nicer obviously some teams like envision that you just put the current livery on it and and then added the green uh, kind of blur filter to make all this look like translucent highlight bits all over the uh, edges and the wheel rims but uh i actually really like the design uh controversially not only because i think it's going to look, look like a brilliant lego model eventually and i wonder who's going to make that <laughs> but, um, uh, but i like how i like how aggressive it looks i like how they sort of stick to the one shape the car that it reminds me of is the um i believe it's an old lotus from the 60s uh late 60s called the lotus 56b which had a, a sort of turbine in the back it was a very weird looking car it looked like a giant doorstep and the formula e car uh the gen free car kind of reminds me of that uh, I disagreed with what Pico said about the front wing. I kind of like the kind of bent <laughs> aspect of it, uh, mainly because it gives you a bit, I think it looks much more like an open wheeler now, which was the only kind of little criticism I might have of the Gen 2, that it had these wheel covers and they're just constantly being knocked off. So I think um, I think it should make for better racing. I feel like it's um, uh, function over form, essentially, that uh, in a way, maybe it looks quote-unquote ugly although beauty is in the in the eye of the beholder of course if i if i just jump in i was just wanted to talk about um i wanted to move back to sort of the marketing side of things because you said something really interesting whereas they were trying to um appease people in monaco appease the sponsors right and what i thought was interesting was is formula e and i feel formula e's culture has really shifted over the last couple of years where it, want, it was this open, fan-friendly type series at the beginning. And it's become more like Formula One was 10, 15 years ago, where it's very, I don't know, I feel like Formula E has this hostile sort of appearance now, where it's, you know, it's not for the rich and famous per se, but they, they, they do things less fan-friendly. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that statement? I definitely think there's a bit more of an in crowd than there used to be. And it's almost like there's kind of, there's less of, not that they don't bother trying to introduce new people to the sport. I mean, they've, they've certainly made attempts, uh, but it certainly feels like they do. Uh, there's, there's much more of a catering to the sort of existing crowd and people already in the sport than there is to uh, people outside the sport. It's sort of, it's sort of, I've heard people call, describe it as kind of like a Marmite launch. Like you're either on board with Gen 3 or you're not, it seems. And uh, there's there, there's certainly very little kind of, uh, it certainly there's a sense, I think there was some criticism of Formula beforehand that there's a, that they did, they weren't doing such a great job of advertising the series that a lot of people, especially before Rome, that didn't even know that Rome was happening because there'd been such a big gap beforehand. And of course, a little bit of that we talked about 
was due to a race being in uh, the race in Cape Town, I think, being cancelled. And there's been another cancellation since in that Vancouver, which, of course, you know, is one of those things where the promoter kind of fell through. It wasn't really Formula E's fault. But going back to what you say, I, I, agree, I agree that certainly uh, there's a little bit too much, in my opinion, catering to the in-crowd. And, uh, and I think Formula E needs to do a slightly better job of reaching out, holding out an olive branch, like um, uh, this is what the car is capable of and, uh, and it's going to make for a really better race. It's going to address some of the issues we had and this is what it looks like on track. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be quick. And that's what I tend to focus on. And I think there should be less of appeasing certain sponsors and i think degrassi made some interesting comments to pico about how he wanted four-wheel drive for gen 3 and that ended up being voted down because it would have been too expensive i guess but it's interesting how there are all these different groups and it feels a little bit i don't want to say like um uh, that's the old saying a camel is a horse built by committee <laughs> i don't think that quite applies but there's certainly an element of all these different manufacturers wanting different things out of gen 3 and it's interesting what direction we're going to go going forward into Gen 4 as well, because those discussions are on the table at the moment too. But uh, I certainly think it's a decent compromise they've got together with Gen 3, and I'm excited to see how it goes on track. Pico, obviously you're in the paddock as well. I know, uh, have you, and you've obviously been in the paddock in previous seasons. Have you felt a sort of shift in terms of Formula E's culture? I think that there is a little bit of a difference compared to, I think... Pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, obviously, we're still coming out of this whole COVID situation. Um, but the, it's 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 not just that. I I do feel that there is there is more that it's 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 a lot different compared to what it was a few years ago. It's still I mean like there are still some of the same people, the same like same teams, few the same drivers, etc. But it, uh, it it definitely felt different in Rome, and 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 that's like the main thing that I can compare because I did Rome in season four, and I did Rome in season eight. So those those are the two that I can really can really compare. Um, there was there was a fair difference between the two. Uh, I do think that it yeah I, I think I think you were. What do you mean the, by difference? No, in terms of like, I, I, I think you're like bang on the money in terms of like, it does feel like F1 was about 10, 15 years ago that it, we, we aren't the fun, friendly atmosphere that like, that like Formula E was at the very, very start. It, 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 it has kind of a, come on, let's kind of keep on going for the moment. Not, let's not have all these walls fall in on us because... Yeah, I, it's it's it's. I don't think it's ever going to be as bad as it was like post Miami season one. But it's it 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 does feel like that there's we that there's just like this thing now where we just need to like keep on going because other, because if we do stop, it's just going to hit a brick wall. Now I know that was a tough topic to talk about, boys, and I appreciate you talking about that. Um, it's only because I feel the same in what this is what you've done. Obviously, I've been to races from season one all the way up to season seven, um, pretty much. So I've I've felt the shift. Like back season one, season two, teams wanted media attention. They wanted us, and I know maybe we're thinking oh, we're not getting the same, you know, resources and and things go our way as we did back in in season one and two. But at the same time, the series is still, in my opinion, still needs that because it's it's in a position where it needs people like us who are willing to go in there, grab the interviews and so forth, and actually 
talk about the series. Whereas I feel like some teams in season one, season two, who are still on the grid today, you were so open back in, in season one, season two, season three. Whereas today, they're much more like a closed shop. Um, and they don't really want to give any information away. They don't really want to talk to anybody. Uh, and and I, I think, and that's what I mean, like it's kind of got that culture of what F1 was a couple of years ago, where it just felt like it was such, it was such an in circle that getting anything out of it was a challenge. Um, and I, I think for a series like Formula Maria, I think that it's not healthy. And I think they need to be more open. And I know that was a, an interesting topic, but I think, and I knew this because there's so many, so much news stories that have come out over the last couple of days. I knew this podcast would go in so many different directions today. So let's bring it back to something else, which I thought was quite shocking, to be honest with you. Um, however, it does make sense. But at the same time, I'm like, really? Dragon. Okay, Ed. We know. Okay, there was this potential time. We knew Tech Cheetah there were some problems. We knew there were some problems stirring, right? And now the problems seem to look like they've hit the press, finally. Because Van Dorn could be moving to Dragon next season alongside Jean-Eric Verne with DS partnering Dragon. And Dragon finally, not doing what I wanted them to do, which was to bring an American manufacturer into the team, but finally giving up the ghost of being a manufacturer and actually partnering with someone but huge that potentially Vern and Van Dorn will be moving to Dragon potentially for next season your thoughts on that Ed? yeah it's uh, it certainly was uh, interesting there are a lot of people who've not been following the uh, DS Dragon story are like what where did this headline come from uh but it, it's a move that makes sense with the uncertainty for Van Dorn's point of view it makes sense to move there given the uncertainty surrounding the future of his current team Mercedes uh, whether McLaren are going to buy them, what power were they going to get the Nissan powertrain, whether that's going to be competitive if they get that package together. And uh, also whether McLaren might want to bring in different drivers entirely. It wouldn't be the first time that Van Dorn has been dropped by McLaren against his will. So it makes sense to move to uh, a DS power team, of course, um, DS World World uh, Champions with Tichita in uh, season five and season six, of course, as well with Acosta. It, it's going to be quite a big uh, shakeup because DS is going to take over quite a lot of, uh, we talked about this before, it's they can have control over the driver choice, it would seem. That's why John and Vern has gone over because him and DS have had historically had big links ever since the, uh, Vern drove for them when they were in they had that partnership with what was the Virgin team and is now in Vision back in uh, season two and Vern drove for them then. And uh, it, But uh, is it going to be competitive? Is uh, it's certainly a big move from Joe Penske because we know how fiercely independent that team is. And it seems like they've decided to trade in that independence for a chance to be more competitive. And uh, it'll be interesting if it works out. And especially with Maserati, they won't be the only DS power team on the grid. So I think overall that'll probably help them because having the Maserati powered or DS powered Venturis essentially means they've got they've effectively got four DS cars. So that will help Dragon as sort of the main DS team. Uh, if that makes sense. And I think it's also a move that makes sense for Vern. He's sold his shares into Cheetah, and so there's nothing really holding him to that team anymore. And uh, with the financial trouble, there was a cryptocurrency sponsor that fell through, I think, end of last season uh, that Cheetah had hoped to announce. And, and they were very, it was a very closely guarded thing. They were very protective about um, hiding their financial troubles, essentially, uh, to and the Chinese company that's in charge of it. But uh, hopefully that team survives. We know they're looking at a customer deal too. But it certainly raises questions about where Costa is going to go as well because the rumour is uh, they're looking at moving him to Porsche alongside their line and that Lotterer 
may end up going somewhere else, potentially swapping with DaCosta again and going back to, to Cheetah is not entirely off the table, but Lotter is also looking at racing in Le Mans. So it shakes up the driver market. It makes sense for road drivers, makes sense for the team. Uh, let's hope uh, it has a desired effect on their competitiveness because Dragon could certainly use the help right now. Pico, I wanted to talk Nick the Freeze because obviously Ed's covered that move quite considerably. I was going to talk to you about because we get about um, Lotter and DaCosta because that is potentially something that's going to switch there. But what I find interesting is Nick the Freeze. Obviously, current world champion. Right, but it looks like he may be out of the series and he may be choosing to go out of the series himself, which I don't think is also a great look for Formula E that your world champion a year removed is going, well, I'm not going to be in here anymore. Um, and he's obviously looking to go to Toyota for WEC potentially, and that might be his preferred move. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think it's interesting. However, uh, Toyota have been all dominant in WEC, so I completely understand why he why he'd uh, think about a move to Toyota. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting one. But uh, to be fair, I mean, like he's he's coming he's come into the series. Uh, he came in with the Mercedes team, so he uh, if he wants to leave with the Mercedes team, uh, I'm fairly certain that he will stay on as the reserve in the Formula One squad. But uh, um, but yeah, he, he he wants to move on and do Toyota. Then so be it. I think uh, it, it will be a massive loss to the series because he is a very very talented driver. He's won a world championship. It's, it's it, so yeah, and so yeah. But dri- drivers drivers do come and go, which is uh, which is a shame. Um, uh, I think it will be a bigger loss the, than we've had in recent years for Formula E, but. Um, yeah, if uh, if that's his decision to go, then so be it. Pico, I'm going to stick with you because obviously calendar here, Sao Paulo and Vancouver. So we lose Vancouver, which I, I, I can't believe, right? I, I'm shocked that we've lost Vancouver because I just, I know Ed said earlier that it's not Formula E's fault, but surely, surely these things need to be sorted out before it's on the calendar. How can you have a race on the calendar fall through like this if you weren't 100 why why announce that it's on the calendar if you weren't sure that it was going to happen i'm interested in that and your opinion on that and then obviously then move on to sao paulo and obviously we've been trying to go for sao paulo for so long uh, and how good is it to finally get there vancouver's an interesting one i'm i'm very much disappointed that uh, vancouver's off the calendar because uh, i was going to have a, a little holiday in the states in between the vancouver and the new york races so for personal reasons i'm very annoyed that it's off but um yeah i you, you can't you can't do this at, at, uh, at this point it's uh it's i, I i'm very very surprised uh, I was less surprised when I found out that the people behind the Vancouver E-Prix uh, are the same people who were behind the Montreal E-Prix. That's, that, that's when I kind of, oh, okay, that makes, that makes sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's very disappointing to lose that off. Um, I know that Formula E wanted to finish off Gen 2 with Race 100 in Seoul, so... Um, there, there, there is maybe the chance of having a having a six uh, having another race come in, but it's it, it's 
it's rather unlikely. The, the, the most obvious choice is adding Jakarta uh, to become a double header. Uh, even then, that would need to be announced more or less now because we're, we're a month away. Um, and also that would interfere with the week leading up to Le Mans, which, which a lot of the drivers uh, are involved in. Um, uh, I can't really see Valencia happening. Um, uh, I, uh, I, would, I was speaking to Sam Smith in Monaco. He joked that uh, Marrakesh uh, in mid-June would be, uh, be a fantastic option. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah it's, um, it's an interesting one. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm gutted that that's off the calendar, but hopefully they can get their stuff together. And in 2023, Vancouver can actually happen. Uh, I, it, it has just reminded me that I do need to cancel my um, accommodation in Vancouver. I will do that after this. Um, but yeah, uh, Sao Paulo. Yeah, this is like the third or fourth time that we find it, that we've tried to go to Sao Paulo. And it sounds more or less this time that it could happen. Uh, from what I've heard, it is going to be in the same region as where the IndyCar race was a few years ago for, um, in Sao Paulo. So uh, if it's that circuit, then I'm all ears because that was actually a really fun circuit. Um, uh, I think there was, I think the 2013 race uh, at, in IndyCar there was one at the final corner. I think Hinchcliffe won that one. But um, yeah, I think uh, going back to uh, going to Sao Paulo, obviously Degrassi has been wanting this for years. This is the third or fourth time that we've tried to get a race in Brazil. So yeah, I, I, I'm all ears and fingers crossed they can sort it out. Ed, let's move on to Monaco. I know Pico was at Monaco, but we'll start with you first. Um, obviously, huge win. For Van Dorn and all, and he's been driving brilliantly in that Mercedes and I think that he he needed that luck um, to come his way and obviously he got that luck from Pascal Verlein. I know you've been looking into the reasons behind how why Pascal Verlein um, retired from that race because you know for Pascal he did nothing wrong you know he dominated that race he got he got himself into the right position used the attack mode at the right time and it all was looking plain sailing and Porsche looking as strong as ever but reliability for them still a massive issue yeah it certainly is and uh great to see uh van dorn win again for the first time since uh, rome last season and uh, indeed rome this season basically it was a very similar top four in all all the last three races with uh, of course evans frines van dorn and Verne, of course in <laughs> basically finishing the top four in a different order in all three races but, but verline like you say was had worked his way up to the lead uh, from uh, Signal Grid and uh, put in a, a great performance. Everything seemed to be going well until the car mysteriously shut down. And it seems like the 12 volt battery, which is there obviously to support the much larger battery, uh, apparently uh, it, something went wrong there. We don't know exactly why, but it either wasn't fully charged or had some kind of malfunction uh, because Pascal Verlaine going into Mirabeau used his brake by wire and uh, clearly it didn't work because he just locked up and then the car died. So it seems uh, there was some kind of, because the 12 volt battery wasn't working, the main battery sort of set to this and then shut down to sort of protect the uh, electronics essentially to prevent it from dual circuiting. So the car shut down, uh, there was no radio between Berline and the team and it brought out the full course yellow. And it seemed to be, that was the, uh, uh, 
deciding moment in the race. Was it a full? It was a full safety car, wasn't it? And uh, the, it was a deciding moment in the race because Verne and Degrassi, I think, both went for attack mode right before the uh, Fulcus Yellow came out. I'm going to stop you there. Just I want to talk to you about that because we knew from the pictures, right, that Verlung was slowing down. And that the potential for a full safety car was massive at that point, right? Or a full course yellow. So why on earth did they both go in? Because both go into attack mode at that point. Shh, that was clearly the wrong move. Were you surprised that they both took them at that point? A little bit, but um, I wonder if um, because the nature of Van Dorn's issues weren't known, whether they assumed right Verline is gonna. Either they thought Verline could maybe get back to the pits or they'd get him out into the runoff and it'd be a very, very short full course yellow. It seemed like they took a gamble and it didn't pay off, certainly. Uh, or they were just really unlucky. They didn't see that Pascal Verlaine had slowed to crawl on the exit of the tunnel. Uh, so evil, I, I, I certainly can't see. Uh, I think Vern was very frustrated after the race because he felt he could have won it and he was ahead of Van Dorn before he went into attack mode. So... It seems like deservedly so. And in the end, because of that, Evans actually got him and demoted him down to third as well. Even though the Jaguar, it wasn't really a great circuit for a Jaguar. Bird had his issues and seems to really be struggling at the moment. Uh, and after two big collisions, basically took him out at two races in a row. And uh, and Evans was just complaining. Everyone was so efficient in the, they were able to lift and coast a lot later than him into the braking zone. So Evans was kind of a little bit all at sea. But uh but yeah, certainly uh, Vern will be happy because I think he, he, he sort of limited the damage in the championship. He's still uh, like um, a couple of points just behind Van Dorn. So uh, it certainly was damage limitation in the end for John Eric Byrne. And he might regret losing that win at the end of the season, but it's, it's Formula E. You've got to be there, pick up the points when you can because it's so easy to lose everything, as we saw for Porsche, not just with Verline, but with Lotter as well, having that collision with Roland, where both of them actually hurt their hands, I think. I think, uh, uh, was it... Jack, uh, Pico, you said you saw uh, Roland, and I even saw it in the interviews when I was editing, Roland's walking the background with his hand in a bandage. So let's hope he heals up quite quickly. Pico, how was Monaco? It was lovely, actually. Um, uh, yeah, no, uh, it, was, it was great. Um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really fantastic weekend. Didn't do much partying, um, unlike Toby. But um, I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna get into that on here. I'm not gonna get into. I want. I kind of um, want to know. Yeah, for no, those who I'll, don't I'll, know, I'll, I'll tell you off there. For those who I'm don't know, don't that reference. Toby on this. But yeah, well, he's been on many of a. He's been on many of a show. For those who I don't know who Pico is referencing, there. That's Tobias Bloom from Eform LD. Our German. Our German friends. Tobias is the show. I'm sure you agree. Tobias is the show. Yeah, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, yes, Tobias absolutely. Makes it. Yeah, no, I'll, 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 I'll tell you that one off there. But, um, but yeah, no, it, it was a fantastic weekend. Um, uh, I absolutely loved um, being in Monaco. Uh, I, I stayed in Nice because it's cheaper. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, it was a very open question, to be honest. How was Monaco? I mean, should I tell you about the horrible train on the way in on the Friday? Well, I don't know. You, you're there, right? I know you're there, but it's nice for you to just reminisce and just sort of like, yeah, it was great. I enjoyed it. It's always nice to fun. But obviously, we'll, we'll keep it to the race. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, when are we coming to the race? <laughs> we'll keep, keep it to the race. But I thought it was a nice just chance just to say, you know, how was Monaco? Like, you know, not many people get to go to Monaco. So you've got to take it in when, when, when you get it and just, you know, sort of live that experience. But 
talk to me about the race. It was it was an all right race for Monaco. There was overtakes. There was good strategy. Just what was your take on it? It was an all right race. Yeah, no, it wasn't the um, uh, it wasn't the absolute blockbuster that we had in season seven. But um, uh, there were still overtakes uh, up and down the field, and uh, yeah, it was all right. Obviously, Van Dorn had a had a bit of an advantage. Um, uh, through full uh, through full course yellow, which uh, which eventually he um he uh yeah it, it was it was null and void because it's a safety car, but uh, yeah uh, absolutely absolutely horrible for Pascal. I really really felt for him, and uh, I, I I didn't I didn't chat to him when I sat behind him in a restaurant in Nice Airport on the Sunday, uh so yeah just because I, I I'd already spoken to him on the Saturday. You can check the interviews on already on the channel from last weekend, um but uh yeah no it was it it, it was an alright race and the four at the top of the championship have now got twenty points away and so. I, I still think the likes of De Costa and De Vries and De Grassi, Motar, they'll be able to catch up for the rest of the season. But those four have made a severe break at the moment. And going to Berlin, obviously, it's a double header. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. Boys, we are out of time. It's been an absolute blast of a podcast. I've missed these. Um, I have missed them. Um, Which is why we need to do them more often. We do well. To be, it's just. We, need, we didn't we even didn't... do one between Rome and Monaco. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, like, Mitch Evans did that an absolute storm, and no, we didn't even talk don't about care. that. No, don't get, no you way. were doing your on-site stuff, to be fair, Pico. I did ask, and you guys yeah. were all busy doing things. I don't, know. Things, so. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but yeah, we'll it's probably because I'm still salty because I said Jaggy were not going to be any good last season, and they ended up winning. Are they just season. doing this to spite you? Oh yeah, just, no, no, no. I think Jaggy would win in Rome, and so yeah. Yeah, and, so. and I'm, I'm just salty. Every time Jaggy win, I'm just salty because of what I said last season. But never mind. I don't know why we didn't do one, but we ended up not doing one. But we're back now. We're trying to make sure we're back again at some point. But boys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers, and uh, we need to keep doing them because at this rate we're never going to get to show one hundred, Jane. <laughs> I don't even know. I, you, I don't even know how you've kept count of the shows, and I love it. I'm like, oh, we're on episode seventy-eight. I didn't even know we're on episode seventy-eight, but we're on episode. I don't even know what episode we're on when. So you'll find out because check the description because Ed knows what episode this is. Um, but yeah, absolutely kind amazing. Of his job because well, he uploads it and he has to put it in the title. Yeah, but well, in the description, the title will say something way more eye-catching. Yeah, but it's in the description. I, I lost count like four years ago um, whenever we started doing this pre... We started doing this as the pandemic started and we've carried on since. But thank you so much for listening um, and hopefully we will see you soon. Goodbye.